finding hope in God's goodness, and we talked about the importance of having an eternal perspective on life that uh, recognizing that God is our eternal home can help us to have endurance and to continue in the faith amid the hardships and trials of this life. And if you remember last week, we talked about the Apostle Paul and his at least moments of despair and how the Lord brought him through that and led him through that. I read to you a long list of the things that he endured from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. There's a shorter list in chapter 6, just a verse and a half. It talks about Paul's afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. So those are some of the hard things that Paul went through, specifically with regard to gospel ministry, and uh, the Lord said that he would show him how much he had to suffer for the sake of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Suffering for the faith. But for you and for me and for others in the scriptures, suffering takes various different forms. We've already looked at Elijah and we've looked at uh, Moses and the things that they were discouraged by and how they cried out to the Lord and how the Lord delivered them through that. Even moments of great despair where they wished that the Lord would even take their life and how God brought them through that and encouraged them. And for that reason, this sermon series I've entitled Finding Hope in God's Goodness. Finding Hope in God's Goodness. And so we looked at very briefly, I just listed for you some of Paul's hard things in his life. What are your hard things? We don't have time to go around and share, but I know we have some, some cancer survivors here. So what are your hard things? I know we have people who are grieving here. Um, some of the hard things in my life, I won't go into detail here, but you heard me tell about my, my daughter and her very checkered health history and dealing with uh, being legally blind, a survivor of childhood cancer. Before her, her brother had a cyst on his lung at 10 and a half months old. He was cut stem to stern, and I've never been so terrified in my life, to be quite honest. And uh, it turned out uh, he's just fine, and uh, it turned out it's nothing to sort of be a bit of training to get Kelly and I ready for what we are going to have to deal with when our daughter would come along. Aging parents, caring for them. How about that? My mother's last decade riddled with strokes. So Paul had hard things. I've had hard things. You've had hard things. If you live long enough, you will. You might be a young person here today, just trusting in your parents' ability to provide for you and protect you and think, hey, my life's just fine. But you know, if you live long enough, you're going to encounter some real difficulties. So how do we find hope in God's goodness? Today we're going to look at uh, King David, one of the greatest believers who ever lived, just like Elijah, just like Moses, just like the Apostle Paul, great believer, and yet listen to his honesty in Psalm 13. I provided that for you on your uh, sermon outline on the back as a listening guide. Here again, God's word. To the choir master, Psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? 
How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we love the Psalms. There's 150 of them. And so many of them start out like this with uh, a word of lament, a word of sorrow, and then reminders of your goodness and faithfulness past. And it brings the psalmist to uh, reassured trust in you. And we pray that you would do that in our hearts and lives, even this morning, as we give consideration to this portion of your word. Help us truly, indeed, to find hope in your goodness, because you are alive, and your word tells us you're kind in all your ways, and sometimes that's easy for us to see, and other times we simply have to take you at your word. So increase our faith now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what were David's hard things? We, we listed Paul's hard things. I listed a few of mine. I said, you probably have hard things of one sort or another in your life. What were David's hard things? The answer is, with regard specifically to Psalm 13, we don't know exactly. Sometimes historians try to reconstruct what was going on with, with David when he penned Psalm 13, but really we don't have any information. It could have been one of several different things. Um, it could be during a period of his life when his son, Absalom, had pulled a coup and betrayed him and was trying to mount a civil war against his father. Maybe that was going on. Maybe it was earlier in his life, that period of years that he ran around in the desert living in caves because he had respect for the office of the anointed one, the king. King Saul, his predecessor, and Saul wanted to see, he was jealous of David, he was envious, he wanted to see him put to death. So for years, he's running around in the desert. In fact, we'll be looking at some of that uh, this fall, Lord willing, we'll walk through the book of 1 Samuel together. There's a couple of instances in there in which David had the opportunity to off with the king's head, so to speak, and he didn't do it because of his respect, if not for the individual, for the office that the, that the Lord had set up. And so he didn't do that. Maybe that's what was going on with him. We, we could go on and on, various circumstances, hard times in David's life. He lost a child. And so David knew, knew grief. Maybe that's what's up here. We really don't know. Some of the Psalms give an inscription. At the top, you've read them. Sometimes it'll say, on the occasion of thus and so, this is what happened. Not Psalm 13. But what we do here is David pouring out his heart before God. How long, how long, how long, how long? Four times, the great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon called this the howling song. 
because of an anguish that how long? Four times. Will you forget me? It seems like forever. It feels like forever. For David. And sometimes, if we're to be honest, for you and for me. Um, a woman named Chelsea Sabalik wrote this for the Gospel Coalition a while back. She said that sometimes the list of my trials and suffering threaten to overshadow my days of the Father. The pain of living in a fallen world that weaves itself into my heart attempts to steal my affections for my Savior. So what is she saying there? Sometimes we're going through things that are so hard for us, so painful for us that it obscures our, our trust in and our view of God as our loving heavenly Father. Spurgeon elsewhere says, um, it's not under the sharpest but the longest trials that we are most in danger of fainting. Last week we left off in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul compares and contrasts very deliberately momentary affliction and the eternal weight of glory. But I said that our afflictions don't seem momentary in life when you're going through. My mom's last decade riddled with strokes and many strokes called TIAs, and one time she was mugged. It was, it was, it was not great the last part of her life. Two, two huge strokes bookending that last decade of, of her life. It was hard. It was hard for her. It was hard for my elder sister. It was hard for me. What about you? What are those hard times? that you're going through in your life, how are you doing with your view of God and your faith in the Lord? Well, this Psalms 6 verses breaks down rather neatly into uh, uh, three couplets, if you will. Protest, pray, prayer, and praise. Protest, verses 1 and 2. Prayer, verses 3 and 4. And praise, verses 5 and 6. Or Sinclair Ferguson breaks it down similarly to verses at a time by saying it's Questions, petitions, and consolations. Questions, petitions, those are our requests to God, and consolations, what, where he finds comfort. So the question is this, letter A in your outline, is did God forget David? And you and I could personalize that question, and you could make it, did God forget me? Has God forgotten me? Virgin asks, can omniscience fail in memory? Can Jehovah's heart forget his own beloved child? So does God forget or not? To forget means to mislay, to be oblivious about, uh, to have something escape their notice, to not have memory of something. And does God forget in that fashion or not? Well, Yes and no, mostly no, I guess I'd say. God doesn't remember some things. It's not like me not remembering where I laid my glasses or uh, this morning up here on the platform. Told Carolyn uh, I didn't have a bulletin. She said, go get one. I, I came down on the platform and was walking and talking to people and I came back up on the platform. <laughs> didn't, didn't fulfill my intended purpose. Uh, exactly. Does God forget in those ways? No. 
For he chooses to remember our sins no more. He no longer holds them against us. If you have union by faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God chooses to remember your sins no more. That's not selective amnesia. That's not him mislaying his glasses or your sins. That's forgiveness. But some of us feel that God, somehow we're escaping his notice. It's a big world. There's lots going on. He's busy. Perhaps he can't be troubled with my little situation. You know, he's dealing with major events in the Middle East or nation against nation or wherever. Maybe he's overlooked me and my situation. This psalm, it feels like that when you read it. How long? Four times. It mentions sorrow, verse 2. Being shaken in verse 4, sorrow is affliction and grief and agony. Being shaken means to slip and fall, literally, from the original language, to be tottering or staggered. Have you ever had that happen to you in your life? I've been staggered by the circumstances of my life on more than one occasion. Uh, Dale Ralph Davis's commentary on this psalm is called Slogging Along in the Paths of Righteousness. Slogging Along in the Paths of Righteousness. That doesn't ex exactly sound like the victorious Christian life, does it? Well, is God hidden? Did God forget David? Related question, is God hidden and who is David's enemy? Brief answers here, subpoints under letter A in your outline. Is God hidden? Um, and here I again would commend to you the book Disappointment with God by Philip Yancey, maybe not his best known work, but one that helped me personally the most. That book has helped me a lot. The book Shattered Dreams by Christian counselor Larry Crabb has helped me a lot. Crabb uh, himself lost his wife and twice survived uh, cancer, and ultimately now he's, he's with the Lord. Um, another book that really helped me a lot was. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Spiritual Depression. All these books are very, very helpful to me in my walk with God over the years. Well, is God hidden? Look underneath the scripture. I have searched it for you. WCF, Westminster Confession of Faith. We're studying that together. Uh, um, uh, half a dozen of us or so or more in Sunday school. Sunday morning, two weeks ago, we looked at chapter 18, paragraph 4. Look how it reads. True believers may have as the assurance of their salvation diverse ways shaken, like the psalmist, diminished and intermitted as by the negligence and preserving of it. What does that mean, to be negligent and preserving the assurance of your salvation? That means to not avail yourself to the means of grace, which means the ways by which we grow, that people, when they aren't sitting under the preaching of the word of God, and when they're not participating in the sacraments of the church, and they're not experiencing Christian com community and fellowship. They're, they're being negligent. That's one reason. Or by falling into some special sin which wounded the conscience and grieved the spirit. Sinning, okay, pretty straightforward. By some sudden or vehement temptation. There's another way that your assurance of your salvation can be shaken. And then the one I underlined, by God's withdrawing the light of his countenance. What is his countenance? Your countenance is your 
your, the expression on your face, right? It's your visage, it's how you look to other people. Sometimes you look happy, sometimes you look glum, right? Somebody who knows you, you can walk up to them and say, hey, what's wrong? What's wrong? I haven't said anything. They, they just take one look at you and see from your body language, from your countenance. Well, here, Westminster, which was a group of dozens and dozens of the brightest theological minds at the time of writing, which is almost 400 years ago, a group of pastors and elders and scholars got together and they wrote this and said, sometimes God's children struggle because God has withdrawn the light of his countenance. No sin in this instance. And he goes on to say, suffering, even such as fear him to walk in darkness, have no light, yet they are not utterly destitute of that seed of God, life of faith, love of Christ and the brethren, sincerity of heart, conscience of duty, out of which, by the operation of the Spirit, this assurance may in due time be revived. Your assurance of salvation in Christ can be strengthened. And by which, in the meantime, they're supported from utter despair. Despair? Last week we said, 2 Corinthians 1, Paul was so excessively burdened beyond his own strength that he despaired even of life itself. And then by the time you get to chapter 4, he talks about all the hard things that he encountered. And he said, we encountered this and that and the other, but we're not despairing. So which is it? Despairing or not? Well, I think all of us have our moments. You have yours, I have mine. Paul had his. The psalmist, King David, had his as well. Is God hidden? Well, the church felt like it to David. And who is David's enemy? Bottom line is we don't know. Human, circumstantial, demonic, we, we don't really know. He went through hard things. We already established that. Saul chased him around, chucked spears out of him, tried to pin him through the wall, chased him around in the desert for years. On and on, various things. In verse 3, sort of the tenor of it says, Answer me. Or, you know, if I were to paraphrase, answer me or I'll die. Light up my eyes with life and energy and hope. Help us to find hope in God's goodness or we're gonna we're gonna die. God's countenance, God's face is his presence, his favor, his blessing, his favorable disposition towards his people. And sometimes the psalmist and great servants of the Lord and you and I, it doesn't feel like that. God feels remote, distant. It doesn't seem like our prayers are getting any higher than the ceiling. And we wonder if God knows and if he cares and if he's there. You know, Rabbi Kirshner wrote a book a generation ago. It was a bestseller, unfortunately, in my opinion. It is called Why Bad uh, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. And you know what his answers were? Or crump. His answers were either God knows and cares, but he can't do anything about it. So he's impotent, right? He's not all powerful. Or maybe worse, 
God's all powerful, but he's not interested. That kind of hurts. I don't I don't find any hope in God's goodness in Rabbi Kirshner's book. But I find hope in God's books and some of these others that I mentioned to you also. Calvin says, when we are for a long time weighed down by calamity, and when we do not perceive any sign of divine aid, Lord, answer me. This thought unavoidably forces itself upon us that God has forgotten us. Have you ever felt like that? When the cancer diagnosis came, when the job loss came, when your loved one passed? You ever felt like that? David did. He engages in what I call holy arguing. He takes his complaint to the Lord, and that is commendable. Lest I die, lest the enemy prevail, lest my foes rejoice, twice it's explicit, once it's implied here, he takes his doubts to the Lord. Friend, God's not afraid of your hurt, your sorrow, your pain, your suffering, your doubts, your questions. He's not afraid. But do at least what David did. Bring them to him. Don't just go away. I can't tell you. This is, this is stock advice that I give people. I've said it before here, and I will say it again because it bears repeating. So many times I've known well-meaning believers who encounter something very, very difficult. And they stop attending church regularly. They stop reading their Bible. And you ask their friend, hey, you know, so-and-so used to always be there in the pews with you. Hadn't seen them in a few weeks. What's going on? And, and, and their friend clucks and shakes their head, looks at me and says, oh, pastor, my friend is going through a hard time. So they decided to stay away from the church for a while. I have yet to ever experience, I've been doing this for a good while, uh, you can tell by the color of my hair, I have yet to ever have somebody later on return to the church with joy and come to me and say, Pastor, I went through something really hard and I decided to stay away from God's people and God's word and the sacraments and your preaching and, and my walk with God just got so much better. I've, I've never had that happen. When you're going through the hard thing, you need to stick and stay all the more. You need to be around God's people. And you need to continue under the preaching of the word of God. So what's the turning point? Verses 5 and 6, where he moves, as uh, Dale Ralph Davis, Davis puts it, from anguish to assurance. Anguish to assurance. Uh, the, the Canadian band down here has a great rock song on Psalm 13. I listened to it in the car with my daughter on the way down here. This morning it's called From Protest to Praise. That's good too. From Protest to Praise, from Anguish to Assurance. How to get there? What's the key? What's the secret? David remembers God's covenant love. We see it in verse 5. But, there's the turning point right there. But, you know, it feels like this. Don't let that happen. Feels like I'm going to die. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. And 
then he learns to find hope in God's goodness again. My, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I have trusted in your steadfast love. Steadfast love, when you see that in the English Standard Version, I can't remember how the NIV puts it. I think it's unfailing love. The NAS puts it um, loving kindness. That's a technical term. It, it's a reference to 2 Samuel 7. Jot down here, jot, jot down just 2 Samuel 7, or if you will, verses 11 to 16. It talks about the covenant that the Lord made with King David that he one day would be king and he would never lack for a man on the throne. That means not only his son Solomon, who comes next, but Messiah. Messiah is going to come from David's lineage. That's why he's called the son of David. You need to, you need to understand how pivotal 2 Samuel 7 is, not just for David, our psalmist, but in the, the story, God's big plan of redeeming a people for himself, a people for his own possession. God remembers God's covenant love, his special redeeming love for his people. When we were going through our uh, New City Catechism, I said it was about common grace. God restrains evil and people can be nice even if they're not believers, stuff like that. And I said, but we need more. We need more than common grace. We need special grace. We need God's redeeming grace to us in the person of the Savior, of Jesus, who has been tempted in all ways as you and I are, yet in his case without sin, who lived, who died, who rose for us. David remembered God's covenant love. I'd like to give you some examples. We just don't have time. But the result is trust, rejoicing, and singing. Look at that. We're on letter B, the turning point. God remembers God's covenant love. The result is trust, verse 5, rejoicing, singing, verse 6. David sings of the Lord's benefits prior to his circumstances being changed. I'll tell you what. Sing. I, I'm glad y'all participate in corporate worship. Sing on your own. Sing in the car. Sing a Christian song on the radio. Bring up, bring a hymnal home. Chris has everything on slide then anyway. I gave you permission. Take a hymnal home. And if you're if you're hurting, if you're sorrowing, if you're grieving, uh, open it somewhere. I don't care where. Amazing grace, it is well with my soul, and sing it by faith. You don't oh, I don't feel like that. Just sing it. Go ahead and sing it as an act of your will and see what the Lord does in your life. In your heart. The result is trust, rejoicing, and singing. Um, I got more I'd like to say. I'll, I'll just say one thing. The New Geneva Study Bible notes on this say 